Welcome to Day Beautiful. I'm Adam Vitkavich, and this is a podcast where readers can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check out daybeautiful.net for more author interviews and book recommendations. You can also follow us on social media at Day Beautiful on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Today's guest was born in Queens and raised in New Jersey. She is now based in Brooklyn. She is a recipient of the Pushcart Prize, was a Center for Fiction Emerging Writing Fellow, holds an MFA from the New School's Creative Writing Program. She was also an alumnus of the Asian American Writers Workshop. Her debut novel, Sea Change, is out now. Please welcome Gina Chung. Hey, Gina, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Adam. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, your novel, Sea Change, I call like the standout from like the early books I read of 2023. I love it. Um, I, I am so stoked to talk to you. Um, what's Sea Change from Gina's perspective? Yeah, I love that. Um, and thank you so much for, for all your, your kindness and support of the book. Um, so I see Sea Change as a, a sort of slightly later in life coming of age story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about a 30-year-old Korean-American woman who works at an aquarium. And she is dealing with heartbreak and loss and some big changes in her life. Um, not, dealing, not dealing too well with them, I'd add. Um, <laughs> but she... She also has a special connection with a giant Pacific octopus that lives at the aquarium that she cares for named Dolores. And a lot of the events of the book are sort of set in motion when um, Ro, is, my main character, mm-hmm. is broken up with by her boyfriend, Tay, who's not just leaving her, he's leaving the planet to join a privately funded mission to colonize Mars um, as part of a sort of last ditch attempt on the part of humanity to sort of deal with the climate crisis by essentially not really dealing with it on Earth, but trying to find alternative homes for the for humans in outer yeah. space. Yeah. And um, she's also never really dealt with the loss of her father from 15 years ago. He was a marine biologist who worked at the aquarium and was lost at sea on a research trip. And when she learns that um, Dolores, this octopus that sort of represents her connection to her father since he discovered her, when she learns that she is going to be sold to a private investor, that sort of sets a lot of the present day uh, events of the book into motion. Yeah, I, um, it's funny, like, I always think of like, what books, oh, it's not funny, what books this reminds me of, and obviously, like, The Giant Octopus, did you read Remarkably, Bar- Remarkably Bright Creatures from last year? Um, I haven't yet, but I know it's sure. like yeah, yeah, it no. has. It also has an octopus in the so, aquarium. I mean, that's it, an octopus. But uh, but your writing style a lot reminded me of Jean Kyung Fraser, uh, Pizza Girl, which I know she like blurbed your book. I saw some like press and, and like there's like a humor to it, and it's like I don't know if you're trying to be funny, or if you're just naturally funny. So I'm going to talk about that a lot. Um, but yeah, anyway, I loved your book. It, it did so many things for me. But first, I want to ask about like the fictional, or not, maybe it's not fictional, the drink uh, that the Sharktini, right? Is that, am I remembering correctly? Tell me about this, because I find, uh, I love drinking, obviously, like who, well, maybe not everyone, but uh, tell me about the Sharktini. Yeah, I'm so happy to talk about the Sharktini, which I invented for the book. And then I tried it out eventually and was like so relieved that it wasn't the most horrible thing ever. <laughs> Um, and so I'll just say for readers, it's um, basically it's Mountain Dew and uh, lots of gin um, with a bit of jalapeno, which you can sort of add as a garnish um, or you can sort of muddle it in there into the mixture. And it adds a sort of like unexpected kick and freshness to the drink. But I mean, uh, yeah, in, in the book, my character, Ro, uh, it's sort of like her quote unquote signature drink. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not necessarily like um 
I did want to have sort of a funny kind of memorable kind of cocktail yeah. sort of for readers to be thinking about. Cause I think reading, I think reading and cocktails go really well together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's sort of like a sloppy drink and, you know, Mountain Dew has so many specific associations for like millennials in particular, yeah. uh, which I am part of. And so I wanted, I wanted it to be sort of this funny kind of memorable thing, but also, you know, uh, Rose drinking definitely becomes a, a bigger part of the book as the story mm-hmm, goes mm-hmm. on. So, yeah. 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 And I think like, I want to ask about that at the top because I feel like people who, you know, if they're, they haven't picked up sea change yet, obviously the book's not about the drink, but I think it encapsul- encapsulates like how I felt while reading it. Like it's like, it, it because I'm a millennial as well. Our lives have been a mess since 2007, <laughs> um, you know? And yeah, anyway, um, yeah. Um, so you have tried it. Yes, I have. And then my publisher, uh, Vintage Books, they actually hosted um, a really fun media lunch for me and some other authors from our division back in um, in the lead up to publication. And mm-hmm. they ended up making the Sharktini the signature drink for the lunch, which was like really cool, but then also incredibly anxiety inducing for me a little bit because I was like, oh, my gosh, yeah. what if everyone thinks it's horrible but (laughs) thankfully the bartender who worked on the event and put together the cocktail like she seemed really happy about it and overall the review of the drink at the lunch was like oh surprisingly not bad and it was like a fun kind of conversation starter too for a lot of folks about the book so yeah for sure um you mentioned like you're a millennial i'm a millennial uh and i joke that our lives have been a mess since the great recession um yeah it's <laughs> actually true it's not a joke but i'm curious like more about your life uh was writing was reading a part of your life growing up or did you fall into it later yeah absolutely i've been a like a lot of writers i've been a voracious reader since like pretty much i could start like doing that on my own mm-hmm. and um Growing up, I grew up in the suburbs of New Jersey, which is also where the book takes place. But um, we didn't really have many independent bookstores growing up. Um, And so my favorite local bookstore as a child was um, The Borders. That was Mm -hmm. in my my local mall, RIP Borders. And um, I just, yeah, I love bookstores, libraries. They just feel like such safe spaces to me. And so they're just so magical. And so I have so many fond memories of just growing up and, and reading a lot in my libraries, in my local Barnes & Noble and Borders. And, you know, it's reading has just been a huge, huge part of my life um, and continues to be so for me as a writer. And I'm also one of those writers who there are some writers who I know, like, don't try not to read too much when they're working on new projects. But mm-hmm. for me, I'm kind of always reading. I feel like constantly inspired by the work of other writers. Um, and I'm also I feel like as a reader now, especially after having attended my MFA program, where I learned a lot more about craft and technique and things like that, like, I feel like I'm always learning so much about um, not just the world or the subject matter or themes that a writer might be talking about, but also um, just how they're structuring things. I'm so fascinated by things like voice and character and plot choice. And so um, I just I love to nerd out about all those things as well, in addition to just nerding about uh, nerding out about good books. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll get into the nitty gritty of everything you love to talk about and and how you write and read. Um so you're reading a lot, borders, malls, RIP, everything. Um, when do you start writing? Are you like goofing around writing as a kid or are you what's that look like? Yeah, I also started writing a lot as a kid. You know, I wrote a lot of like little stories of my own and illustrated them. And, uh, you know, I would I would, I would uh, create them on printer paper and, you know, staple them and then hand them to my parents to be like, <laughs> Here, here's my book, you know. 
And I think the first novel I ever tried to write was like, it was like eight chapters when I was a child and I wrote it like double spaced in my notebook. And it was a fantasy novel, um, which is, which is to me, I'm like, wow, I should try and find that draft somewhere if it's in somewhere in my parents' house. But um, yeah, I was always writing and and, um, making up little stories in my head, both for like school assignments and on my own. And um, it's funny looking back at those early short stories and attempts too, because like, I mean, growing up the way I did, I mean, I'm Korean American, my family is Korean American, but we grew up in a really white uh, part of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the books that I was reading at the time for children, young adults, like featured white characters, you know, I feel like nowadays, it's, it's a bit different. And there's mm-hmm. so many more different diverse portrayals of um, certainly in, in books for younger people, but and as well as for adults. But back then, I really felt like I didn't have too many options. And so all the characters that I wrote were essentially white. And um, it continued into like when I was in high school, and then a little bit into college when I started picking up creative writing more seriously. But um, I left writing for a little bit after college, I took one creative writing course. um, And then I thought to myself that I was just going to, you know, use my love of reading and story to like work in book publishing, which I Mm -hmm. did for a few years. My very first job was actually um, at Penguin Random House before it became Penguin Random House. Mm -hmm. This was many years ago. And uh, yeah, I got to work in publicity there before switching over to editorial at an academic publisher. And then, you know, but all that time, even though I had sort of like tried to shelve my dreams of becoming a writer, I was still writing and attending like classes whenever I mm-hmm. could. I took a few classes with the Asian American Writers Workshop and yeah. formed a little writing groups with friends. And, you know, so I was always kind of doing that, but it felt too risky to try and really take it seriously until, um, you know, a few years ago, back in like 2018, I decided to make the plunge to sort of apply for MFA programs and um, it kind of came out of a lot of things, just like personally, I was, I don't know if you're an astrology fan, but I was going through like my Saturn return at the time and just feeling like my life is like not really going the way I planned for it to. And like, the only thing I know for certain is that I love writing and that I really want to give this a try, even though it's scary. And so that was kind of the sort of the first step I took in that direction. Yeah. And I'm curious, like when, when did you start writing characters like Roe, characters that you saw yourself more in that were more in tune with who you wanted to write and and how you wanted to write. Yeah, I think um, I actually did start writing like characters that were more recognizably part of like my Mm. sort of heritage and community in in that writing class that I took in college. And it's uh, I wrote a short story from the point of view of like a young Korean American father who's a, a widower and he has this daughter. And his wife was white. So his daughter is um, half Asian, half white. And so I brought this story to this class, which I think I was maybe one of like two people of color in the class. And I thought it was so fascinating. I didn't make it super explicit, like the background of this particular character, although I I thought it was explicit for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But the class like spent a good portion of my workshop period just debating whether or not this character was Asian. And I thought that was just so wild. And yeah. yeah. And then I think after that, that was such a like interesting lesson for me in terms of like how even when I was making more of a concerted effort to write about characters that like looked more like me and had, mm-hmm. had experiences like me, like it was still like being coded as white in some way by the readers in that <laughs> in that workshop. And I think they were well intentioned, but I just thought it was so interesting that our readerly assumptions to this day, I think still is to assume that a character is white unless mm-hmm. like the writer specifically says that they're not. Yeah, yeah, I I mean, yeah, I I agree. I find myself not often 
I, I think because I know like the writers well enough when I'm reading now, like I, I like I, I code characters to like the writer, which I may still not be the right thing and still may be wrong. And I need to change how I think about things. Um, but it is interesting that like I'm recognizing that, you know, the more I read, the more I read and everything. And um, yeah, I'm just calling out my own prob- problems really <laughs> i think but i think it's like it, i think it's it's a huge part of our our our, our literary culture yeah. and it's again i think that like you know get back when i worked in publishing which was like 10 years ago at this point mm-hmm. like we weren't even talking about like we no. need diverse books and things like that like all of this has been very recent actually and yeah. there's still so much more work to be done like i feel so happy and like privileged to be writing and publishing at a time when so many more writers of color are out Mm -hmm. there um, and whose work is being championed. And when so many Asian American and Korean American writers are in the world. Um, Cause when I was growing up, like I really just didn't see myself reflected at all in the literature. So all of that is to say like the change is happening, but you know, as we all know, institutions and industries change really slowly. And by and large, even though there are many more individual, like, like triumphant stories to look to there that work of inclusion and just increasing the amount of stories is is still very much ongoing I think yeah yeah I I think I I worked part-time at Changing Hands bookstore in Phoenix five six years ago and the book buyer her name's her she what she has left but her book Michelle was very like pushing diversity on on like the bookshelf which I don't think a lot of indie bookstores were even doing half a decade ago um mm, yeah and, and now it's like like you said we need diverse books is like an initiative not just like a thing people say any it's like an actual initiative out yeah there. and yeah. um yeah and i hope like one day it's like just a part of our norm i think it's been on our dna as readers for so long and as book sellers and as book buyers yeah yeah, I think for so long it was like not even thought of, right? And mm-hmm. then it was and then it was thought of as like this sort of afterthought to be kind of shoehorned in whenever like the big heritage times or, you know, periods roll around, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. but I mean, hopefully now it's I think especially it's also a question of leadership as you said, right? With like the person you worked with at the bookstore um mm-hmm. where you were, like it has to come from um it, a lot of that change has to come from the top from yeah. people who are really willing to to make those changes directly yeah and now um you know change is happening we have your book to bring it back to sea change um you're at your mfa 2018 ish is that when sea change starts sea change starts or when does this start yeah yeah so i applied um to the various programs that i did back during the cycle of 2018 and then mm-hmm. um ended up deciding on um the writing program at the new school which is where i began in fall of 2019 and i didn't actually come in with an idea for a novel or really any kind of bigger project like i'd had a, i'd been working on some short stories and you know mostly was workshopping and, and writing those uh, while also just learning about craft and attending classes and meeting so many amazing writers. And um, yeah, the idea for Sea Change didn't really come to me until um, maybe my second semester at the new school, which was like early 2020. So this was before um, the pandemic really became very real for us. So I was still going to classes in person. And uh, a writing professor I had at the new school who was visiting that semester, Wyatt Tumor, who's fantastic, she kind of led us, she would do a lot of these in-class writing assignments with us, which I always really liked because I like kind of like the pressure and community feeling of like all writing together for a very concentrated period of time. 
And she gave us this prompt, which um, then for me became the opening lines of the novel. And um, that was sort of the first first few words that I wrote mm. of what would become sea change. And so I, I continued writing on. And I, I was very fascinated by this voice, which is Rose's voice that mm-hmm. sort of came to me onto that page. And the first image that you really see through her eyes is Dolores, the giant Pacific octopus at the aquarium and the many different colors that she can change into. And I started just wondering about who this character was and why did Dolores mean so much to her and like, what kind of world was she operating in? Because I mean, octopuses are fantastic, fantastical and like, so interesting. But I also wanted this, this Dolores character to be like ever so slightly larger than life. So I made her like, larger than what a giant Pacific octopus actually is. I made her um, sort of come from this very fantastical sort of no man's land, extremely polluted uh, zone of the ocean that I made up for the story called The Bearing Vortex. And so I decided that I was going to make this story um, a little bit near future, a little bit speculative, where things with our climate crisis are just ever more urgent um, and where people are doing things like going to Mars to try and set up space colonies. And um, so I, but I, I really thought it was just going to be a short story. So I started mm. writing this short story, um, put it away for a little bit, came back to it the summer of 2020. And I had like a little writing group with some of my friends from the program. Like we were all kind of like nervous about, you know, not keeping up with our writing goals during this like all remote virtual period. So we would meet periodically by Zoom to talk about our work. And um, I brought the story to them and they were all kind of like, you know, I think this needs to be longer because there are lots of questions that you've left unanswered here. The question of the missing father, the question mm-hmm. of like this ex-boyfriend who's going off to space. And so um, and then later that fall, I entered into my thesis semester at the new school. So I was kind of like, all right, well, I've never written like a real full length novel before. Let's 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 just go for it. And so that's kind of how it all came together. So I started writing it really in earnest during that fall, during the fall of 2020. Awesome. Yeah. Was, was there an easier thread for you to, to write? Like, I mean, there's the boyfriend, the father, the octopus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What, what, what came most natural once you decided to go from short story to novel? Yeah, I actually found the sections of Rose. So the novel is also, it's told in a sort of alternating past present structure. And I found writing the sections of Rose's childhood to be like very intense because she goes through a lot of sort of difficult early experiences with her parents uh, growing up um, in her family. But I found those experiences to be both very intense, but like kind of um, easier to write in that like they just felt so much more emotionally accessible to me on the surface. Um, mm-hmm. I did write the I'm a very like a strangely linear person when it comes to writing. So, you know, I shuffled around a couple of things, but for the most part, I just sort of like wrote the book in order, mm-hmm. um, in the order that the reader encounters them. But yeah, oh. those childhood scenes were um, somewhat easier for me to imagine and to sort of write around. And when it came to writing the present day scenes, I also loved, I, I loved writing about Dolores. Like anytime she came on the page, I was like, this yeah. is so much fun. I could just write about this octopus forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that's wild. So you did write, I mean, the alternating perspectives as you did, like, oh, wow, I love that. I love finding out more about, like, the structure and how, especially with time, comes into factor. So like, that was always part of Sea change Yeah, yeah, I, wow. I'm an outliner. So, yeah, I had a, sure. I had this, like, relatively detailed outline at the beginning that I deviated a little bit from. Mm-hmm. Um but for the most part, I, I knew that I wanted it to be alternating timelines. 
Um, one of my favorite books is uh, Mostly Dead Things by Kristen Arnett. And she also mm-hmm. does this in that book, sort of flashing back and forth between childhood, early adulthood to the present day of her main character. And um, so I I sort of um, I wanted to just structure that, it that way, just because I felt that when we meet Roe in the present day, I wanted readers to sort of understand how she had come to be this way and what sort of early experiences and familial experiences had sort of shaped her in this manner. And yeah, so then that's kind of how I set out to write it where I was like, okay, this is going to be, she's going to be this, this, this many years in this flashback Mm -hmm. scene. Um, She's going to be this many years in this one. And here's how we're going to also text her and flesh out her relationships, like her mother, her father, her best friend, Yoon-hee, who's known her since she was a child. And um, eventually I also wanted to get to the story of her, her relationship um, with her, her ex-boyfriend and sort of how they came together as well. Yeah. Yeah, so it started with Rose's voice and Dolores and then expanded into like so much. Like that's why I asked at the beginning because there's always, there's so much going on in this book. And like I it truly felt like I don't know, like an entire like mini series, not just like a, you know how people say it's cinematic or whatever, right? That's like a term we all love. But to me, it was it was there was like so many threads that could have been their own book on its own, you know. Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, I, I I really wanted it to feel like a little bit episodic in that way and also become like a fuller portrait of the main character. Yeah. And when you're reading, I mean, is it a character you look for or what, what is it that you look for in a book that makes it uh, worth reading that makes it a good book? Yeah, that's such a great question. I think um, definitely one of the things I find myself prioritizing as a reader is the way like language moves and feels on the page. Like um, just feeling, I I love a writer who can make, their prose just feel so textured and really mm. feel embodied. Like I want to be really in there with the character. And I think maybe it's because like in my personal life, I'm a little bit like brain in a jar sometimes where I'm just like, it's very easy for me to forget that I live in a physical body. And so I'm mm-hmm. always looking for uh, reasons and moments to be reminded of like how like vivid that experience is in, in the books that I read. Um, and I, I, I'm a, I'm such a sucker for like a strong voice, like, mm-hmm. um, and for that reason, I think I gravitate a lot to first person mm. narratives, but I also love like, you know, when a writer can do amazing things with third person or, um, with second person too, sometimes like when, when a character can kind of pull me in, um, and just really sort of like, it's almost like that feeling where you're like, you're at a bar maybe and then you meet mm-hmm. a random stranger and then they're just like let me tell you about the night I had and you're like I don't even know this person but I'm yeah. in this story already like I I feel very like seduced by the power of that in a narrative yeah no I love that who are some writers that have inspired you from like childhood to now not necessarily what you're currently reading but people that you just think people should read to get a better sense of literature essays etc Oh, yeah, that's such a great question. Um, I mean, I feel like I owe such a artistic and spiritual debt to Maxine Hong Kingston's The Woman mm. Warrior, which um, I think I read an excerpt of that for a class that I took a while ago, and I was just sucked in. Like, um, you know, the story, that it's, it's sort of like a mixture of memory and magic and family story. Like, the structure of that book is just fascinating. I could talk about that for, like, a whole bunch of hours. But, like, the thing I really love about this that 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 book is just the urgency with which the stories are being told with like the stories are being told to this like 
kind of um this this younger girl and by her mother and like it's sort of the story of like don't tell anyone else this but of course she's now telling the reader this and so you as a reader kind of become complicit in this in this narrative um and I I also love um I loved Amy Tan's The Joy Luck Club growing mm-hmm. up too that was one of the first like encounters I ever had with like Asian American literature and like the way that those stories are structured too in that book and there's some it's like something's being passed on to you and it's it's such a beautiful sort of like um unfurling of like various mother-daughter relationships in that in that book um and deborah levy is also just one of my all-time favorite writers her book hot milk um which came out a couple years ago and was finalisted for like the booker it's just fantastic it's like a first person pov um also about a daughter um and a young woman who's sort of like at the end of her rope in a lot of ways but the writing is just so vivid and textured and um really emotional without necessarily without ever being sentimental like I I love that 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 quality of a voice that can just plunge us into the world of a character and then um sort of more recently um books that were really inspiring to me in the writing of Sea Change were um Keeps a Girl by Jean Kyung Frazier which you mentioned and like that's just another such a funny but also like heartbreaking Mm -hmm. voice Mm -hmm. Um, and Waiki Wang, whose book Chemistry is just one of my all-time favorites. And that book was sort of like what really made me want to be a writer when I first encountered oh, wow. it. Yeah. yeah. Also so similarly like hilarious and also just so emotionally compressed. And there's so much she's doing on on the page with that book. So yeah. Um, and then other writers I just love are um Karen Russell, who writes about the fantastical and the surreal in such beautiful, tender ways. Um, Kristen Arnett, who I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. Um, and a writer, another writer whose work I hadn't read, um, up until recently was Lily King. I read her writers, her read her book, Writers and Lovers, mm-hmm. around the time that Sea Change was out on submission to different publishers. And that's a story about a young woman, um, around like Rose age. She's like in her early thirties and, and the book takes place in the nineties. And she's sort of trying to come of age as an artist and a writer herself. So that book was such a, such a comfort to me at that time. Yeah. Yeah, I, when you first said Kristen Arnett, I was like, "Oh, this makes sense that you you like her." I mean, who doesn't like her? But like, sea change, I could see very much being like hand in hand at like a reading with her. So yeah, she's amazing. Like that <laughs> yeah. character, uh, Jessa from Mostly Dead Things. Like I, I I like to think of her and Roe. Like what would happen if they met, <laughs> uh, and like the hijinks they would get up to. But I I love Kristen Arnett. Her work is, sure. is so brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, have you been reading anything else since finishing Sea Change? Anything that's been on your radar in the past few months? Yeah, I've been reading a lot of short stories, actually. And some mm-hmm. of that is, um, I mean, I just love short stories and collections. Um, but I'm also in the midst of revisions on my own short story collection, um, Green Frog, which is coming out um, mm-hmm. also with mm-hmm. Vintage next year in early 2024. Um, and Sour Heart by Jenny Zhang is one of my favorite short story collections. I've been revisiting that um and uh, also Lot by Brian Washington one of my all-time yeah. favorites like yeah. he has a novel coming out this fall which I'm so excited about um but Lot is just I mean every every story in that collection just makes me weep it's mm-hmm. it's such a beautiful tightly woven collection about time and place and growing up um and then I'm also reading right now uh, a very different type of book um Sheila Hetty's novel Pure Color which mm-hmm. um I didn't read when it first came out, but it sounded so fascinating to me. And she's just doing so many like bold, like metaphysical things on the page. Um, so just really, really loving that experience. Um, and also reading, 
gosh, I'm reading way too many books all at once, but this is just the way that I am. I'm reading uh, a yeah. ghost music by on you, which is um, mm. um, also kind of quite surreal. Um, it's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot about mushrooms in the book and I love mushrooms. I just think they're really fascinating as organisms. And so uh, there's a lot in there about, uh, it's about a pianist of, and she does classical music and she's a teacher. And so it's, there's a lot in there about being an artist and being a woman and also a lot about the, the mystery of everyday structures like mushrooms. Thank you so much to Gina Chung for coming on to talk about her debut novel, Sea Change, to recommend books and talk about everything in between. You can find her at gina-chung.com or on social media, Twitter and Instagram, uh, Gina the Chung. That's Gina the Chung. You can find Day Beautiful at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at daybeautiful. As always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful. Beautiful.